Hello, and welcome to Moments That Made Her, a podcast where the rare and unique women that hold senior private equity roles share their stories, including the key personal and professional moments that define their journeys and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm Kirstie McGuire, Executive Director of PE Win. For those of you joining us for the first time, Moments That Made Her is a production of the Private Equity Women Investor Network also known as P.E. Win, We are the preeminent organization for senior-level women investment professionals in private equity. P.E. Win provides its members with opportunities to network, share ideas, make deep connections with peers, and empower each other to succeed. Our mission is to increase the profile of women in private equity, and our members represent institutions with over $3 trillion in assets under management. To learn more, please visit pewin.org. The host of Moments That Made Her is Kelly Williams. Many of you know Kelly as the founding chair of P.E. Win, as well as the founder of the legendary private market solution business known as the Customized Fund Investment Group, which she and her team grew to manage $30 billion of assets until she let it sail in 2014. She is now the CEO of the Williams Legacy Foundation, and serves on the board of the Greenbrier Companies and Grasshopper Bank, and chairs the board of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Welcome to the latest episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Kelly Williams, your host, and the founding chair of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. I'm incredibly excited to have one of my dearest friends, Eileen Mancera, as the guest today. Eileen and I have known each other for a long time. We won't say how long. Um, But we've known each other in a variety of settings as well. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. So I am thrilled to welcome you today, Eileen. Thank you, Kelly. I'm honored to be here. So we, you know, we're excited for you. You are the partner and head of marketing and client services post-advisory group. Um, And as we're going to talk about in our interview, you have done so many interesting things throughout your career. um, And all of those things have led you to this incredible spot where you are now. But I want to start where I always start at the beginning and ask you to tell us a little bit about how and where you grew up. Sure. You know, um, as when you sent me the list of questions, oddly, this was the one that's most intimidating for me. Uh, partly because you could say my family could have starred in the book or movie Hillbilly Elegy. Um, I'm the first person to, in my family to ever go to college. Um, and I spent a lot of time suffering from a bit of an imposter complex where I didn't really talk about where I grew up from. And, you know, until a year ago, my parents still lived in a trailer in Tennessee Mm -hmm. um, until my father passed. Um, And it wasn't really until now in my career that I realized many of their lessons around my work ethic and my sort of can-do attitude were as important as my educational degree. And... In many ways, it was always really a touchstone to go home um, and see my family in their sort of more humble lives. And uh, it has kept me rooted throughout my career, I think is best to say. So coming out with the fact that I have much more humble beginnings than I've, well, I've never really talked about my background. So there. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's so interesting that you say that. And, and you and I have talked a little bit about this over the years, because like you, I'm the first person in my family ever to go to college. And I come from very humble beginnings as well. Yeah. And I actually was just back there this weekend. Right. And um, it was remarkable for me to see, um, as modest as I thought my upbringing was, how much more kind of shabby and worn the town mm-hmm. looks yeah. Um, and my whole extended family still lives there. They've lived there for yeah. 400 years and I'm the first one to kind of get out. Yeah. Um, 
And it's, and it is very interesting to be with them because my family is so different from me, but they love me so much and they're so proud of me and they have absolutely no idea what I do. Same here. <laughs> yes. But my, my dear sweet aunt, I mean, she burst into tears. She, I surprised her. She didn't know I was coming. And I walked in and she's like, but you're so busy. What are you yeah. doing here? You're so busy. And so, um, you know, those are the things that kind of really do keep you rooted and realize yeah. that there's so many people in your life that are rooting for you and proud of you and that ability to kind of persevere. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the other thing, I don't know if you feel this way. I certainly do. Coming from such modest beginnings, I always feel like, you know, whatever happens, I'll be fine. I can survive. If I have to live in a trailer, I oh, can do that too. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. That has always sort of kept me, uh, I don't know, feeling like I could, um, sort of my superpower in a way, right? And mine too. I co totally right. agree. It, it is It is a solace that you have, yeah. right? Like if you yeah. lost everything, you would know what to do. You would know yes. how to how to take care of yourself. So, um, so given those modest beginnings, what was your first job? Um, my first job and my first career were in politics. Um, I was an idealistic college graduate who wanted to change the world. And we can debate whether I made an impact or not, given 30 some odd years later, whether it mattered. Um, but there was a Congress. I went to college in Phil outside of Philadelphia, Rosemont, an all-girls woman's school. That's sort of a sister school to Villanova, if you will, Jesuit school. And I went only because they gave me a full ride and I was able to afford to go. Um, and there was a congressman running for uh, Congress in Bryn Mawr, Peter Kostemar, this first time he was running. And he was a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. I'm going to say that on the show, despite um, a very divisive country. And the only job he had was fundraising. And I was like, okay, how hard could this be? They had lists, right? And like people say yes, they say no, what's that matter, right? And I didn't, because I, in a way, because I didn't come from money, I didn't have a complicated view on money. So it didn't bother me to call people and get rejected 99 times out of 100. <laughs> I didn't, I thought that's the way the world worked. Who cared, right? And I wound up to be, actually pretty good at it and he actually won shockingly so wow. um and 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 represented that district for like 12 years um so it, i i it was the only job he held he had on politics and i certainly i soon learned that fundraisers in politics usually spent more were the first hired and the last fired on a campaign so there was a little um you know job security in that and secondly, they spent a tremendous amount of time, good or bad, with candidates. So you usually got to develop a really good relationship with the candidate if you were in that role. And for me, it was like this window into, it was like informationally interviewing my entire time in politics. I met people in all walks of life. I met union leaders, I, you know, this is way back in the day when you didn't do it everything online. So you'd have spaghetti dinners at the union hall and you, you know, and I've met Steve Jobs and everybody in between. And I would often fly around the country and think, hmm, would I want to do that for a career? Would I want to live here? It was a fabulous window into how diverse America is and all the fabulous people we have in this country. It just made me love our country more, especially for its diversity. So, I mean, that was obviously your first campaign, but I know you've worked yep. on many things over the years and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you think about that trajectory and maybe you can share yep. with our, our listeners some of the people you've worked with, yep. what, what are the things you take from politics that you think are most applicable to our industry? Sure. Um, well, I wound up, doing six presidentials, and I wound up my last paid job as a staff person being Al Gore's national finance chair for his for the 2000 election. Um, first woman to have that role in the United States in that job. Um, 
I found that people who think they can wake up in the morning and be the president of the free world, president of the United States, have similar skills to people who wake up and look in the mirror and think they can manage a billion dollars. You have to have a certain hubris. You have to have a vision. And you have to have a vision that people want to follow. And they also tend to be some of the sometimes some of the smartest people in the room, um, though not always, um, but definitely large characters, um, which I love. And I love to be challenged by people. Um, and I often tell people that a presidential campaign is like the biggest startup on steroids. Because when I joined Gore's presidential campaign in 98, I think was the fifth person hired. And as you're three to four months out on election day, there's 4,000 campaign people who work for you, who are staff, and you usually have close to 50 offices, which means you have leases and employee handbooks, and you're managing a budget of a couple billion dollars and with multiple stakeholders and an advertising group. And it's, you know, and you do all that inside of 24 months. And you have a set date and everybody, what I loved about campaigns is everybody was working towards one goal, get this person elected, where governing is another messy matter (laughs) with many, many agendas. Um, But, you know, it's really building a business from the start and creating a message, which for private equity, at least, is often what we're trying to help our portfolio companies do. So... Al Gore actually happens to be one of the few people who've done both, right? He's yes. run for president and he's run a billion dollars or more. Yep. What What do you think is unique about Gore that made him able to make the transition into venture capital? Uh, because he followed his passion. And so it's unique. You know, um, often people sometimes get to that level and they get offered a really a phenomenal opportunity, but it isn't necessarily in their core passion. Core's venture is around climate change, which has been his core passion from when he wrote The Earth, you know, is in balance, and I believe it was 84, right? So this is something that he was passionate about even 20 years before he actually ran, I mean, ran the second time for president, but was, you know, obviously the nominee. And I think that made him successful. It's just who he is. And then he went and built a successful um, investment firm called Generation, which was all about sustainability, right? And one of the first that did sustainability. So again, I think if you find your passion and you follow it, right, success follows. Yeah, so true. So then, so talk about how you made the transition into private equity. Well, you know, it was... um, I met a lot of private equity people who were donors, you know, in the Democratic Party. And I never, ever thought I would be on Wall Street. I mean, I drove a beat-up Toyota with every Save the Whale sticker on it you could possibly imagine. Totally true. (laughs) I am that stereotype. Um, And I was working for Gore, and I had on the presidential race, and we went into extra innings, as everybody knows, on the recount, and I was very, um, had a very senior role on that as well. And all these private equity guys were calling me as I was in a hurricane center in Tallahassee, counting <laughs> hanging chads and recruiting people to come count hanging chads, and they were like, you know, tell me what's going on, tell me what's going on. And actually, um, it was a partner at Carlisle, Ed Mathias. Um, who was quite a political junkie, who said, you should come to Wall Street and raise money. I was like, what? Have you met me? How can you say that? (laughs) And he was like, no, 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 I think you'd be really good at it. And actually, um, the day we uh, conceded, I actually heard Gore's concession speech in the Atlanta airport on my way to New York to meet David Rubenstein. Um, and Ed Mathias, and um, while I was there, I saw my dear friend Alan Patrick Hall, who explained venture to me on his kitchen table, what's an A round, um, <laughs> and you know, I saw Oren Kramer I'd known for years, who explaining to me what a hedge fund was and what and, and how that was different than private equity, and um, 
David and uh, Ed introduced me to a woman, Dale Lensner, who was coming out of uh, Centerbridge and Lazard's placement group, and she was going to start her own placement firm. And we hit it off, and I joined her um, as a placement agent first into the industry. And it just seemed at the time, like, this has sort of been my motto all along, like, well, a lot of people do this. How hard could it be? So I just jumped in. <laughs> um, again, to your touchstone, to your, to your solace, right? Like, why not? And this is asking for money, but maybe I actually might give people a return this time around instead of just a hope and a dream. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, that's obviously how you and I met back in the day. Yep. Um, but, yep. you know, you've had, as, a, as someone raising capital, you've had your own firm, you've sold yep. your firm. I mean, talk a little bit about some of those key inflection points over that time period and, and you know, were there some like death-defying high wire moments for you? Oh, sure. Um, like many people, the global financial crisis was um, incredibly impactful or a pivotal moment in people's careers, right? Same true for me, except going into it, you know, I thought I had, was the bee's knees and had it all figured out, right? I... Um, by that time, Dale had retired. I was running the firm myself. I had 10 people who worked for me, and I had um, clients who were um, great in credit, and I had a, you know, a lot of opportunity. And even though liquidity was drying up, I thought I had the right suite of products to make it through. I was like, oh, whew, we're going to be great. Um, and then the black swan was really the few bad apples who were placement agents who changed the... Um, the rules and regulations where I had spent seven years really honing um, my relationships and public pension plans and, and um, learning their opaque, uh, opaque uh, processes. I saw, I think partly because I had been in politics, that the tide was really turning and that um, I had done some placements for Carlisle and Apollo and many of these big firms and now I was on a phone call where their lawyers were really advising them to fire all placement agents and build in-house teams. And I sort of had a front row view to that. And I said, I'm going to need to sell my firm and soon while I can find a good partner and before everybody else does, or I might not have a career. And um, I just went about finding the best partner for me at the time. And I think I was successful because it wasn't so, I didn't allow my emotions to take over and say, oh my God, I'm selling my baby. And by the way, it was a very lonely time because all of my competitors who I knew and loved were like, how could you possibly do this? Are you crazy? Don't you think you're overreacting? This is ridiculous. Um, you've built this whole firm. You've built this name. You have great clients. If anyone's going to succeed, it's going to be you. And Nobody thought I should sell. Nobody. It was a very, very, very lonely decision. So when you say death defying, you know, I was like, am I doing the right thing? Am I not? Am I doing the right thing? And I just followed my gut. And to see most of those people wound up transitioning out one way or another from their placement firms over the next 18 to 24 months. And I was able to find a partner where most of my, anyone who worked for me was able to come along where they could retire and I found a home for them. And it was the right decision for me at that time, but it sure was lonely. Yeah. It, that was a, such a crazy time. I think a lot of, a lot of people don't remember that or they maybe yeah. they didn't know quite what was going on, but, um, you know, obviously there were some people in the placement industry who were doing very unethical things. Yep. Um, and I remember saying to people, I had never in my career felt so surrounded by evil as I did at that point. Because, you know, if you're a person with integrity and you're not willing to do the things that these other people are doing and you're watching them win business and, um, you know, and, and, and then they come gunning for you, 
it's it's a scary thing. And, um, you know, I always trust the universe and I, I believe in karma and karma came back to get all of them. Um, but for those of us who were doing the right thing, it, it was a scary period of time because people were acting very badly. And in particular, if you were a woman or a woman run business, um, there was a lot of bullying going on in the industry at that time. Um, but yeah, as you said, I mean, I think I think the decision you made was, in retrospect, a, a good one, but it's not one that others were doing because they were many of many people were so carried on by their own egos and thought that they would just kind of push through. And that's not the way the world went. Well, most of those bad actors actually had a political background. So I was very cognizant of that in my own background. And I don't know if you remember this, Kelly, I bet you probably don't. We were at a conference together in those dark days, and um, some recent article came out sort of exposing all these bad apples. And I, um, I was in the restroom hyperventilating, actually. And you came in, and, I, and you were like, what's going on? And I was a little shaken. And you were kind of like, you got nothing to worry about? Which problem? And, uh, you know, in your very sort of nonchalant but yet reassuring way. And I was like, you're right, you're right. And I sort of held on to that as I yeah. went forward um, that day and did the business I needed to do and looked for the partner I needed to find. Um, but you sort of steadied me at a moment when I was really trying to catch my breath on, like, what was happening in our industry at that time? Yeah. What was the no, right I remember. decision? I remember. Yeah. I remember, you know, I was, <laughs> I was in uh, a state with one of my clients and one of my colleagues that I worked with closely in the state um, told me about a meeting that he had just had with someone who was very political, who was a lobbyist, who uh -huh. came and told him to stop working with me because there was a placement firm, not a placement firm, it was a, it was a competitor of mine uh, that was going to, quote, put a bullet in my head. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, like I'm the daughter of a cop, you know, I'm little few things scare me. But I had never heard that kind of lingo in uh, in our job, in our world. Our and world. I just thought, yeah. what is wrong with these people? And, you know, lo and behold, they ended up being convicted. Um, but uh, but yeah, those are those are scary moments. And there are very few people you can talk to when yeah. those types of things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, we're in a different period now. And, you know, what would you say, um, and maybe we've talked a little bit about it, but what would you say kind of got you to the place where you weren't just operating as a, you know, as a placement agent, but you were actually a principal of your firm, you, you know, you were running the firm um, and you've continued to stay in very senior positions throughout the industry. What, what would you say are kind of the, the, the attributes, your own attributes, but also things that might have happened that put you there? Um, when I went to work with Dale and when we opened our firm, I made a very conscious decision because this wasn't an industry I grew up in to surround my pe myself with people who were more experienced than I. And um, in many ways, I still do that still today. And I'm lucky to do that. Um, where I have learned from some really phenomenal people in the industry and not only people I work with, but people I associate with, you know, um, we have a mutual friend, Nina Lesavoy, who um, has been a phenomenal mentor to me as a placement agent or an, and a marketer early in this business, right? Um, and and um, and the in-house side, Liz Smith at AB um, is my touchstone. And to be able to have those women's shoulders to stand on, if you will, right? To have them be a phone call away um, when new situations arise. I think that has been how I succeeded and stayed senior is to really surround myself mostly with other women who um, have come before me and helped me pave my path. And there are two great ones. Um, right amazing women and great friends and very loyal and still still at it after all these still, years yes <laughs> um you know are there 
particular times, and I guess I'd say in, in both of your careers, your political career and your private equity career, where you were made to feel um, really aware of the fact that you were a woman and as a woman, a minority in this situation? Oh, yes. Um, many times. Um, you know, it's not always it's not always so in your face. Um, I would say many times it's um, one or two people who feel threatened by you, um, and especially that you're a woman, and they um, just quiet slowly, sort of like a Chinese water torture, um, try to undermine you in very nuanced ways that. Um, you kind of stop and go, wait, what? What did I just say? Um, you know, um, and it, and it's sometimes so nuanced that your partners who support you sometimes don't even pick up on it right away. And I would say it's really the last six years of my career in finance where I've started to call out that behavior just for what it is. And I've become much more vocal in a very diplomatic, political way because I learned those skills early on in my um, adult life, right? Um, but I call it out because it's not always seen because it can be very nuanced, just completely questioning you or repeating what you said, but they say it in a different way and sort of more affirmative, like it was their idea. And you're like, wait a minute, didn't I just say that 10 minutes ago? <laughs> what? what is happening here? Um, yeah. And now I'll say, I think I just said that 10 minutes ago, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I often talk about um, this quote, or quote, this story that has stayed with me over the years that I heard Mary Eridos uh, from J.P. Morgan tell about uh, when she first took over the wealth management division at J.P. Morgan and, um, uh, you know, one of her colleagues came in and slammed the door and kind of leaned against the door, a male colleague, and said, hey, you know, you need to start, stop running around like a chicken with your head cut off, you know, like you're, you're late for every meeting, you got papers flying out of your hands when you're walking to the meeting, you look like you're overwhelmed. And you can obviously handle this job, but that's not the message that you're sending. And so I always point to that and say that was a, that was a man decoding something for her right like he was sort of saying okay this is how it's being interpreted by the men what you're yep. doing and so i think it's incumbent upon us as women if we have colleagues who are of goodwill to do a similar decoding for them as well and say look here's why that situation was not cool you know, here's why the way that was said was inappropriate. Here's how the way that was handled actually diminished me as a woman. Because a lot of times they they don't necessarily intend it and they do not yeah. see it. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So sure. I think you're doing, I think when you do that, I know you well enough to know how diplomatically you would handle it, but you're actually doing them a great service um, by pointing it out. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and hear a little bit about the amazing sponsors of this podcast. And I'll be back in a moment with my guest, Eileen Mancera. We would like to take a brief break to thank PE Wins founding sponsors, Kane Anderson Real Estate and KPMG, as well as our platinum sponsor, TPG. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at info at pewin.org. Now back to today's guest. We are back with Moments That Made Her. I'm here today with my guest, Eileen Mancera, who is a partner and the head of marketing and client services at Post Advisory Group. I wanted to ask you, Eileen, do you do you point to anything at at this you know time in your career 
whether it's on the political side or the private equity side, or maybe pick one of both, that you think was a particular high point for you? Oh, well, to be the national finance director for a presidential race and, and to be one of the first ones to do that certainly was a high point, right? Um, though I didn't like the outcome, to be at the table, really at the table, when um, the historic recount was happening and, you know, to be in the room with David Boyes, to be in the room with Ron Klain, um, to be watching that strategy unfold um, was really a super high point. Um, we talk about, you know, a bunch of people flew down, political operatives flew down for the recount the day after the election. And there's a, there's a wonderful um, political operative from Boston, John Sasso, um, who I met for the first time in Florida. He showed up and he, he had been around the block a lot and helped was seen, was running, ran the Dukakis campaign, don't hold that against him. Um, but he met me and he understood I was senior in Gore World, but he said to me in a very thick accent, Boston accent, so uh, who's your godfather? And I'm like, what? Who's your godfather? He basically wanted to know like who made me in the Gore World, right? And I'm like, I don't think I have anyone. He's like, everybody's got a godfather. And then, you know, we proceeded to do whatever we were doing that day in terms of the, you know, trying to get the votes counted. And the next morning I saw him. He's like, I did some calls. It seems you have many godfathers. <laughs> <laughs> and we remained really good friends. And he was um, a phenomenal male sponsor. And even after... I left politics as a profession and became more of an vocation for me. Um, I, I still called on him, and he he, um, he he was he was a great sponsor of women in politics. But um, he, he was he boy he was old school and uh, mm -hmm. and a lot of fun. But I would I love that say, he did the diligence to find out who your yes, godfathers were. Right, all right, you know, and he named like you know six people all took credit for my career, which I thought was hilarious. Um, and fine and, and inappropriate, but yes, yes. Um, but that, that clearly was a high point, you know, and I think, I think I'm living my high point right now at post actually. Um, I, I found a, a firm where for the first time, I'm not one of the only senior women in the firm. I, I'm so lucky to work with women PMs and a COO and a CFO and 50% of our senior lit leadership as women and minority, which is um, so refreshing. Um, and more importantly, you know, they delivered on every promise to me without me having to kick and scream for it. And that's the first time in my career. Um, and that's, uh, I was shocking actually when um, the CIO called 18 months in to tell me I'd done what I promised and he was going to do what he promised me. He was going to make me partner. And, you know, we live now in this virtual world. And he called me on a Friday afternoon and told me this. I went, uh-huh. Okay. And hung up the phone because I was like kind of in shock that it actually happened. Right. And I kept waiting for the, you know, second shoe to drop or, contingency or you have to do one more thing or whatever it was. Right. And I went and I walked my dog and I went, I think it's just got everything. I wanted. <laughs> oh my God. I, I didn't say thank you. <laughs> I ran back to the house and called him back and I said, you know, you, you caught me off guard and um, I just want to say thanks. And he was like, I'm so glad you called back. <laughs> And I had played that moment in my head for so long, right? When I would finally feel like I, I made a true equity partner, not a Russian doll partnership and where I was the littlest doll, which I've been in, but a true partnership, um, how I would react. And I was, I, you know, words failed me. Um, I was actually um, pleasantly surprised. And so I would say I'm at my height right now. Isn't that remarkable? 
like when someone does what they should do and you're just so shocked. I mean, I, I still remember when I was in the process of selling my business and yeah. in the 11th hour, you know, yet another issue had come up yeah. and uh, I thought for sure uh, it was going to get taken out of our hide, my team. Yeah. And my boss at the time called me up and said, the firm, the firm's going to cover that. And I literally hung up the phone and I had all my partners sitting around me and I burst into tears and they had never, they had never seen me cry. <laughs> and like of all the things that had happened to me over the years, they'd never right. seen me cry. I cried because someone did the right thing. Like I was right. so shocked. I was so not expecting that to happen, but yeah, you're just so blindsided when, when the right thing does happen. Right. You're at a loss, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's so funny. That's so interesting and, and, and sad and a little sad, to be honest. A little sad, but you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm a marketer, so the glass is always half full. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I think about where PE win was 18 years ago, right? Um, seven, 10 people. Now it's over a thousand members, right? So there's, there's hope. I see hope many places. Yes, for sure. And you, we were there right in the trenches at the very beginning. Um, uh, yeah. And it, it's incredible. It's extraordinary. And there's no lack of desire for women to be there for each other. That, that's, that's the biggest lesson I point to in PE win that women constantly desire to be there for each other. Um, and, and a good example of that, and kind of my next question um, is, you know, what stands out for you as a particularly fun or creative moment in, in your career? For me, it's certainly PE win. Oh I, oh, I would say that too. I would echo that for sure. The relationships I've made at PE win are my closest and strongest in the industry, first and foremost. Um, you know, the place where I, I, you especially, Kelly, but all of us help create a safe space for people to have those conversations when it is lonely, right? Um, and I've had some with you and some with many of our other friends, right? As I've thought about changing firms or doing whatever or whatever challenges one finds in a senior role. And I think that is incredibly special. It is. It's it's a unique thing to have, um, and you don't realize how unique it is until you have it, and realize how long you went through your career without yes. having that network of women where you could just sort of say the thing, whatever the thing is, you know, but just say it out loud. The thing you're afraid of, the thing that you know intimidates you, um, the thing you want, <laughs> and you have someone else who who's been through it and understands it and validates it and then maybe even gives you a little bit of a guidance of how to get it or how to get through it. Um, but I would say the other thing, the other, you know, really fun highlight was working with you and Elisa Wood and Doreen Mockery um, to, uh, to support Hillary and her campaign. Yeah. And again, regardless of your politics, uh, when you get to work with a group of incredible women to support another woman, it's a really special thing. Yes, yes. Um, that was a great journey and hopefully the building blocks to another day when we can maybe see a woman in the White House. Um, there was also a very personal um, moment that happened during that campaign. You, uh, all of us had sort of we're working on this event together and we were all together with our spouses in a, in a room waiting to meet Hillary. And at the time um, we were pregnant with our twins and my husband, who is a musician and from Columbia hadn't really seen, because he grew up in Bogota, Columbia, many families where the woman was the breadwinner and the spouse was the primary caregiver. And though that was definitely what, how it was going to work in our family, he just didn't know many other families like that. And when he came to that event and he met um, other spouses of 
such as your spouse, Andrew, who definitely has his own thing going on and is a phenomenal chef, right? Um, it was an aha moment for him where he was like, oh my God, there's other families like us. There are other <laughs> women who are just as crazy as my wife <laughs> and just as intense. <laughs> and this is going to work. And after that moment, he, like, with such pride, would tell everybody, well, I'm the primary giver, caregiver. I'm taking care of our family, right? I'm in charge of the family. I'm in charge of the kids. And to this day, has owned that. And I think that just home made me realize how important role models are and modeling of, you know, career women and how you can try to balance it with your, with family obligations. And that was really important to us. And that was sort of a little byproduct out of working on the Hillary campaign because we wound up all going to the convention together and he spent time with, you know, other spouses and so and realized I wasn't the only crazy person trying to do both at the same time. <laughs> Certainly not. And yeah, we, uh, we always talk about being at the convention and there was no food and my dear sweet husband went out. Luckily he had a sport coat on with lots of pockets and he, he went to Chick-fil-A and filled every pocket with a sandwich and came back <laughs> handing them out. Um, yeah, that was, that was one of the many amusing moments during that uh, convention, but that was one yeah. of the most exciting things. And one of the most patriotic things I've ever done yeah. really makes you be proud to be an American to go to a, you know, a, a nominating convention like that. It was an extraordinary thing to see people so proud. Uh, so anyway, I was so glad to experiencing to experience that with you. Um, and that is also a good uh, segue to our next question, which is, although obviously you've had lots of successes in your careers, as uh, your career as have I, um, everybody has a time where things didn't go quite the way that they hoped. Um, Hillary, unfortunately, had at least two of those, if not more. Um, and so were there any you know, particular teachable moments that you would share with the, our listeners? From my, from my personal failures, are you thinking? Yeah. Um, I think that, to me, I always come back to the teachable moment as resilience, right? Um, the sun does come up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, history is a, a fascinating thing. Uh, I think this country's really good at um, giving people a second chance. And people love a redemption story and a comeback story, right? Mm -hmm. So no matter how you may be feeling in the minute where things haven't really gone the way you wanted to, um, you can always be the comeback kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've always, I've seen that modeled by other people, obviously in politics, um, but certainly, certainly in our finance industry. Um, for sure, there's some phenomenal comeback stories. You're like, wow, okay. Um, that's, I think that's what I try to impose on um, younger people who work with me. Like, you can always come back from your mistakes. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things I learned is that it's okay to make mistakes. I, you know, because I was always scared to death in my career to make a mistake. I mean, I, I remember one time weekend when I was still practicing law where I made a big mistake and I just I didn't sleep all weekend I made my husband crazy and then on Monday I you know talked to the client and you know explained the mistake I made they're like oh yeah that's all right you know we can fix that I'm like, oh my god <laughs> I'd been like torturing myself for 72 hours and uh and what I did learn is how I think this keys into what you've said People are willing to give you a second chance if you own up to your mistake. Yes. The things that yes. Americans cannot abide is if you don't, you don't own yep. up to it. Because I yep. think Americans all realize, you know, we're human. We make mistakes. Yep. We're a, a very egalitarian society. And so, you know, if, you, if you're humble and apologize, but when you, when you don't, I mean, we're seeing something different where you can just gaslight people and pretend it was a mistake. 
But, um, but I think for the most part, most Americans will give you another chance if you take responsibility. Well, now um, we're going to move to one of my favorite parts of uh, Moments That Made Her, which is our um, lightning round, so to speak. Yep. I'm going to ask you some questions and just, you know, kind of give me yep. your reaction. First thing that comes to mind. Um, is there a great book you've recently read or listened to? Uh, there's two. One on the business side from John Doerr, who I had the um, pleasure of meeting through politics, um, Measure What Matters. And... Um, because I think if you, his whole theory is if you aren't measuring it, it doesn't matter, which is absolutely true. And I made my whole team read it, and we've been on a journey to set our OKRs, and um, and I were leading the way, I would say, for our firm and doing the same. Um, and they all read it and enjoyed it um, over Christmas. So I think that has helped us become, has helped me become a better manager. And I think it's helped my team become more clear on what our objectives and goals are really as we're building this business together. And then on the personal side, a little bit dated, but I still refer back to it as Michelle Obama's becoming, you know, partly because I've met many Obamas, but more importantly, I think her message was just so hopeful and back to my theme of resilience, right? Um, and I listened to that book because um, she actually reads it on, on audiobooks, and I actually preferred listening to it and listening to her because it felt it really made the experience sort of come alive to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I know she has a new book out, and it's um, queued up in my audiobooks, though I haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I love I love a good I love a story of a good strong woman. Absolutely. Well, I I had the good fortune to meet her. At the final state dinner, um, I went with a, a friend who was in the cabinet as her date, uh -huh. and uh, I met President Obama. And you know, we had some friends in common, and we had you know fun fun conversation. Um, and then I moved over to say hello to her. And I, if you remember, she had that extraordinary uh, shiny um, Versace gown on. Yeah. And I just looked at her and I was completely tongue-tied. And anybody who knows me knows that I am never at a loss for words. And I, I literally couldn't like get a coherent sentence out. And she just looked at me like, oh, you poor dear thing. <laughs> she, she took my hands. She's just looked at me and like passed me over to the next person. And it was so funny because I just thought never in a million years did I think that yeah. I would be tongue-tied in front of a woman, the president. Right. Yeah, was like yeah, no big yeah, yeah. deal. We just chit chatted and made some jokes. And her, I was just struck by. So, anyway, um, what is your cell phone wallpaper? It's a great picture of my husband and I. Ah, I love that. Yes, um, and we were actually at um, Gloria Stefan's home for a um, Hillary Clinton event. Um, and a, it's a good photo of us. But more importantly. Um, even though it was a political event, um, I'll brag on my husband for a moment, who has a Latin Grammy, which is owned by Gloria and her husband. And when we walked in the room, he was more known than I was. Uh, and Gloria was like, and um, then everybody in the room was like, well, who are they? <laughs> because we looked like we were such good friends with the Estefans. So um, it was sort of an, where in political events, he's a little more you know, it's not his world and he's a little more reserved and shy. Um, I just have great memories of that uh, event uh, down in Star Island in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I still remember when uh, we did our PE win retreat in Nantucket and you and Jaime <laughs> stayed around for a few days yeah. and we went out to dinner um, and found out, which I didn't know, one of my favorite restaurants, like everyone who worked there was Colombian and they all knew who Jaime was. <laughs> And it was like they had this like after hours jam session they wanted him to come to. And then and then, of course, he came back to the house and he performed. Right. I mean, that was such an incredible thing. But like, yeah. you know, like you, I have a husband who's in a very different world. Yeah. Um, and he's always the much more interesting person at a cocktail party. People would much rather yep. just talk to him than to me. Um, but yeah, no, I remember that very well, that he was a, uh, a celebrity on Nantucket when you right. all were there. Um, so if you had a career other than private equity and let's say other than politics, what would it be? 
crisis management. I see that. I you're the, like you're the been... mother of you're the mother of twin boys. I, 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 I <laughs> exactly. <can see> that. <laughs> I I want scandal. I was like I can do that. Oh, I you totally some can do of that. that. You <laughs> exactly. totally could do that. Oh my gosh! All right, yeah. that's the next thing we're going to cue that up. Um, are you a dog or a cat person? A dog person. I'm not surprised. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Uh, it's so trite, but it's so true. Be yourself. Because at times I think I've tried to be some other people and it hasn't come out as good <laughs> when I've been myself, right? <laughs> Which goes back to like the beginning, right? Where I had a back little imposter, imposter syndrome from where I came from. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll act like her or her or her. And in the end, when I just was myself was when I was really the most successful. And so you've now taken us full circle. Yeah. And we are at the end of our interview, which was has been incredible, as I knew it would be. Um, and I could just keep talking to you for hours. But I want to thank you, Eileen and Sarah, for being my guest today on Moments That Made Her. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Scotty Wardell, co-chair of the PEWIN Communications Committee. As a reminder, the content in this recording is for general information purposes only and does not constitute advice. We give no assurance or warranty regarding accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents of this recording. This recording is provided as is and PE when expressly disclaims any and all warranties expressed or implied to the extent permitted by law. Except where acknowledged, the copyright and all intellectual property rights in all material in this recording are owned by PE Wynn and our affiliates and should not be reproduced without our prior written consent. Other organizations or brand names used within this recording are for identification purposes only. The content set forth in this recording may not be sold, reproduced, or distributed without PE Wynn's prior written consent. Any third-party trademarks, service marks, and logos are the property of their respective owners. Any further rights not specifically granted herein are reserved. Thank you again for joining us today, and we hope you tune in for another episode soon.